0: Season's gonna end on a double doink. 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 Live in the entertainment capital
1: of the
2: world. That's what you want to know. It's the TC Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know the idea. Diagnosis. <laughs> I had an idea, and then uh, prognosis. You know, I take
0: serious. Osmosis. Was it funny? It wasn't. It wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about it. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not fun. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me? Yeah, I don't know the that idea. That's the result you're
2: gonna get. It's the doctor, TC Martin. I don't go out there and laugh doctor is now
0: in. And it is a terrible Tuesday. Of course, you know what that means. Yes, we get to vent our frustrations of what we've witnessed over the past few days or so. Glad to have you with us. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank with you. We'll talk about the terrible, the terrible outcome that we saw last night at T-Mobile Arena. The Vegas Golden Knights losing to the Minnesota Wild in one of the worst ways... To lose a game where you basically thoroughly dominate, you have the entire play of 60 minutes, you outshoot the opponent, 40 to 14, and you lose. Eh, we'll talk all about that today. Craziness. Alright, we've got that. TJ Reeves joins us, our guy from Tampa Bay, or Champa Bay, as he likes to say. Uh, that should always be fun. Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review-Journal will join us, who covers the Las Vegas Aces, as well as boxing, and uh, a plethora of other things, including UNLV. He's doing the UNLV uh, football and basketball this year as well, too. Always fun to have Sam on the program. So, yeah, a lot to get to today. All right, Ballpark. What's uh, shaking there, my friend? Are you shaking your head after last night's game, going like uh, they, they, they couldn't close it out? We talked about it yesterday. It's like they can't seal the deal at home we've seen this uh in years past and it uh, reared its ugly head again last night at T-Mobile Arena it's it's one game like you said that
1: they, they they had they had most of the play Minnesota took advantage of Marc-Andre Fleury having his worst period in the playoffs you know maybe of all season and it's not like he was horrible because they didn't help him out but they had what they had three goals on seven shots in that first period <laughs> I think they had three on the first five because I think Fleury actually saved the last two in that period and Vegas could never recoup from that. They had opportunities. They actually had Talbot beat a couple times, but the defensemen were there to stop the puck from going across the line and doing different things. It's one game so far. This has been the home ice disadvantage series. Right. We've had five games. Four of them have been won by the road team. Yeah. You know Vegas has to be confident going up to Minnesota. That being said, what's weird about this series, besides the fact how we mentioned how the team that scores first seems to lose a lot, and the team that dominates playing the first period loses a lot, which is completely against what you think of when you think about hockey, everybody talks about home ice, home ice, home ice. But sometimes teams seem to get too cute on at home. They want to make that perfect play. they want to make sports center, they want to get the people out of their seats. You're going to get them out of the seats if you win the game. You know, you don't have to be super fine. You don't have to be too good. Minnesota completely forgot how they played up in Minnesota. All of a sudden, they're letting Vegas in the crease. They're not knocking guys out. Last night, they were doing that again. Greenway even took a shot at Marc-Andre Fleury. (laughs) Kind of gave him a little face wash there with White Cloud in the middle of him. I actually felt bad for White Cloud. When they're doing that kind of stuff, somebody from Vegas has to step up and punch somebody in the face. I don't even care if you get a penalty for it. You cannot let them lay hands on Marc-Andre Fleury. And when you do, you're basically telling them, this may be our house, but you're the big dog in the yard. Someone's got to step up and not let that kind of stuff happen. And I don't know why Minnesota, they have the cojones to do that on the road, but when they were home, they
0: didn't. This brought me back to game one specifically, and even game two. And even going back to those games in the regular season, where Minnesota was physical, they basically bullied the knights around, and, and their backs were against the wall, they made some changes, and yeah, they, they, they played pretty well last night. But uh, one thing has been consistent in this series, in every game we saw it again last night, where Minnesota is horrible in the second period. <laughs> they oh, were outshot they, abysmal. 22 to one. I don't think I've ever seen a stat like that ever. You're outshot 22 to one. But you know there's something <laughs> weird when the TV announcers,
1: and again, I know they showed it on AT&T Sports and then they also showed it on one of the NBC channels. I was watching NBC because I just kind of wanted the unbiased mm. or at least perceived on, but, you know, non-biased call. And you know that something's not going well for a team when with, like, two minutes left in the period, they go, hey, by the way, here's a trivia question. Do you know who has the one shot for Minnesota this period? Mm. And they're all like, Oh, they did have a shot, huh? But, yeah. but uh, no, and it, it came late. In the yeah, period, it was by the Nick Bonino, but he's yeah. the only one that had a shot, and it wasn't like a quality yeah. opportunity where Seflurry had to make a big save. Yeah. But it was, yeah. I mean, it was. Now again, Minnesota kind of backed up, but again, I, I know, and I know some of the fans at Team Well were, "Ref, you suck," and those kind of chants. We heard that. There was only
0: two power plays in the game. Vegas had both of them. Exactly. Yeah, crazy. All right, we'll dive more into this uh, next hour as well, too, as we diagnose what took place last night in front of 12,000 fans at T-Mobile Arena. But uh, let's start off with some more terrible stuff. It's Terrible Tuesday. That's terrible. Things gone wrong in the
3: sporting world. That's a terrible
2: idea. I want to know what the
3: hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. It's Terrible
0: Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. All right, uh, NFL news. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. The Green Bay Packers have their OTAs. Aaron Rodgers not there. He hasn't participated in any of the OTAs. Really not earth-shattering news a little bit because he has always participated in the past. But, of course, you know, we have this uh, tug-of-war going on with Aaron Rodgers and the front office of the Green Bay Packers. Well, guess what? The news finally got a little bit bigger because Aaron Rodgers finally spoke. Yes, he decided to do Kenny Maine a solid. So, Kenny Mayne doing his last show on ESPN. He was let go by the network. Uh, a few weeks back they said okay we're going to let you basically go to the end of may so uh, his last episode he said hey you know Aaron we uh, will you will you, will you come on with me and Aaron Rodgers agreed. so the first time that Aaron Rodgers spoke and this is what he had to
4: say about this whole
0: saga between himself and the packers
4: with yeah with my situation look it's it's never been about uh you know never been about the draft pick uh, picking jordan i love jordan he's a great kid um you know, he, he a lot of fun to, to work together. Uh, I love the coaching staff, love my teammates, you know, love the fan base in Green Bay. It's incredible, incredible 16 years. It's just kind of about a, a, a philosophy, you know, and and maybe forgetting that it is about the people that make the thing go. It's about, it's about character. It's about culture. It's about doing things the right way. And a lot of this was put in motion last year. And uh, the wrench was just kind of thrown into it when I won MVP and played, uh, the way I played last year. So this is just kind of, I think, uh, the, the spill out of all that, but look, man, it is about the people and that's the most important thing. Green Bay has always been about the people from Curly Lambeau, uh, being owner and founder to the sixties with Lombardi and Bart Starr and all those incredible names to the nineties teams with. Coach Holmgren and Farvey and the Minister of Defense to the to run that we've been on. It's about it's about the people.
0: All right. And he uh, basically didn't say anything about uh, Brian Gutekunst, uh who is the general manager there, or any of the Packers management, because, yeah, he is sticking his foot in the sand and basically saying, you know what, really don't care about the money, but uh, had a lot of complimentary things to say. But the bottom line is, read between the lines. He's not showing up. Not showing up anytime soon.
1: No, and I, I mean, I would have been more surprised. Like I said, I think it have, might have made even more of a statement if he did show up and then just kind of stood on the sideline or something. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm not surprised he didn't show up, you know. Uh, you know He throws out right away that he loves love, so, you know, I mean. <laughs> past you know, tense, good, is that what you're saying? Good, good for him. Well, no, he he said he loves him. You know, he said he's a good kid and all that right. and has nothing to do with that. Jordan although, Love,
0: right, the Yeah, quarterback uh, they drafted.
1: Although it certainly seems like that does have something to do with it there, but throws in all the past, but uh, – by the way, you did notice he, he also didn't say number four's name the way that number four says it either. Yeah, he likes to say, uh, you know, Farvey. Farvey, yeah, again, so I don't know. But, no, but no, no I mean, again, it's, it, it's a soap opera It's going on up there. I don't know what's going to happen. What amazes me is that there's actually people out there that are making future bets and that kind of stuff, trying to prognosticate figuring out where he's going to be. Yeah. How much money do you have that you're going to tie it up for an entire season to do something like that?
0: Well, here's what you know for sure. Okay, The Packers are not going to do anything until after June because they take too much of a cat hit if they do anything here in the next week or so. So after the first of June, they can cut him, release him, and they'll take less of a cat hit. But they don't want to do that because then you're not going to get anything back for him. And again, he's a three-time MVP, and he's coming off this MVP season. And more than likely, they're not going to trade him because they want to try to mend the fences. And again, you're not going to get equal value when you know that a guy doesn't want to be there. okay? Because you don't hold the cards. But Aaron Rodgers holds zero cards. As we've said before, the Packers hold them all. Expect Aaron Rodgers to have to just muck everything up and say, hey, I'll I'll, I'll be there for training camp. Because if he decides not to go to training camp, then he's going to get fined in the tune of about... $50,000 Fifty thousand dollars a day. And he's not going to get the workout bonus. Nineteen Packer players get the off-season workout bonuses, and that uh, totals to about five hundred grand. Apparently, he wants to just throw that money away. Okay, that's fine. You want to make a statement, but again, this goes back to not the Jordan love. It goes back to Jordy Nelson. It goes back to the the Packers uh, management, and they have turned things over in the last few years. And uh, it is a little bit different world there in Green Bay with. Mark Murphy and Brian goody Koontz And Rogers feels like, hey, these guys really don't know what they're doing. That's what he's saying. They don't know what they're doing. And he's not happy with what they're doing. So maybe in a couple months, when it comes time to play some real football, I expect Aaron Rodgers to be there, but the Packers right now they just want to mend this fence and they go, well, maybe we should have, you know, gotten his opinion or not opinion, but just let him know we were going to draft Jordan Love, had I mean, his input, yeah, had his input. I mean, you kept him in the loop. You don't or something. need to do yeah. that, but knowing that how fragile of a personality ego this guy has, yeah, and you should know that. I mean, you should know that already. You spent time with Aaron Rodgers. Anybody that's spent time around him knows that this guy is very fragile. So just play this stupid game, and, and you don't have this issue right now. Yeah,
1: I'm going to disagree with you slightly on the fact that he, has, does, he doesn't hold any cards because he does, because he does have other options. He could go into broadcasting. He could do some other stuff. He could sit out a year or do something like that. And the, the biggest ace in the hole that he has to me is the fact that the fan base up there does love him. And they want him there, and I think the team is cognizant of that. You know, They don't want another situation where they let somebody go, one of their marquee players or something like that, and all of a sudden they have the backlash from the fans there. So if they let them go and they have a terrible season, that's a lot of egg on the face there. But I don't know how big of a card that is, but he has that. But, I mean, it's... It, when all is said and done, I will be surprised if they don't mend the fences and he's not playing yeah. for the Packers once again this year. I do not expect him in Denver or someplace else. I don't see
0: that happening. Because yeah, the Packers would have to make that move. And when I say hold all the cards, I mean, from a football standpoint. No, no, and, and I get that. No cards, yeah. No, no, that's yeah. what
1: I'm saying. I'm just saying from the from the standpoint of the fan base and the backlash and that that's one thing that he has, and I think he knows he has And, and you
0: got to remember, though, too, okay, the the, the fan base, they're, they're – it's not like the Brett Favre fan base where they love Brett Favre. Aaron, Aaron Rodgers has been split with fan bases, and that goes that he's won games, but there was this big divide between him and Brett, and a lot of people have never cared for Aaron oh, Rodgers. for sure. And then when you have a guy like him who has not thrust himself into the community like most of those players do – so it, it, he doesn't have that big love affair with the city and with those fans like a lot of people think. A lot of people think, oh, yeah, he, he won a championship in 2010. But then again, he's been on a lot of the L's and he's had a lot of temper tantrums. And again, he's no-showed at some events. So Oh, he's there, a prima donna for he, sure. And, and, and the fans definitely you know, realize that. So to be <laughs> that. Okay. The uh, Aces played the Connecticut Sun uh, last Sunday, as we know, at the Michelob Ultra Arena at the Mandalay Bay. And uh, the Aces did not play very well in that game. But the bigger story here was, even more terrible than the way the Aces played, was Connecticut head coach Kurt Miller was talking some trash about Liz Cambage. Now, Miller was on the sidelines trying to get a call and basically paraphrasing here because no one exactly heard exactly what he said. But Liz Cambage heard it where he was trying to get a call from the reference saying, come on, man, you can't let her do that. And he was basically saying that, you know, she was kind of bullying her way around. There goes She goes, she's 300 pounds. So Liz Cambage heard that. That didn't go well with Liz Cambage. Uh, That didn't go well when the Aces, uh, you know, people got a hold of this. And then the WNBA. uh, So bad that Kurt Miller later apologized. And his quote is this. I mean it. Inappropriate and offensive comment in reference to Liz Cambage's height and weight. I regret what I said in the heat of the moment and want to sincerely apologize to Liz and the entire ACES organization. I understand the gravity of my uh, uh, words and have learned from this. Well, the Connecticut Sun and the WNBA turned around and fined him $10,000 and now is suspended for a game. So Liz decided she wanted to fire back. As only Liz can, she went on social media and said this.
5: Something went down uh, in today's game, and I don't need to speak on it, because if there's one thing about me, is that I will never let a man disrespect me. Ever! Ever, ever, especially a little white one. So to the coach of Connecticut, I'm sorry, little sir man, I do not know your name, um... But the next time you tried to call out a referee, um, you know, trying to get a call being like, come on, she's 300 pounds. I'm going to need you to get right, baby, because I'm 6'8". I'm weighing, I just double checked because I love to be correct and get facts. I'm weighing 235 pounds and I'm, I'm very proud of being a big bitch. Buddy, Big Ben's baby. Um... So, don't ever try to disrespect me or another woman in the league. I don't know if that's how like coaches run. Like, you just disrespect, you try to disrespect women like that from the sideline. And you're so lucky it was during a game. That whole part, you were so lucky that I was at my doing my job. Anyway, to that little man, like, whole little tiny, like, where is you? Um, Stop trying to project your insecurities, baby. Pick up the phone, call the psych, because you projecting some bullshit right now. Um, and next time you try to disrespect me, remember, I'm 235. It might seem like 300 pounds to your little ass. Um, I'm 235, baby. Oh, I do have to say one more thing. I think there's a big difference between players and players. Like talking shit on the court for a coach for another team to be yelling like protected abuse because we can't do nothing back it's just crazy to me and I'd be talking a lot and I didn't even say nothing tonight
0: Liz beige letting it fly at Kurt Miller the head coach of the Connecticut Sun <laughs> what did he do that was
1: so wrong? He was trying to buy a call from an official. He didn't say she's a she. She's job of the hut. She's a big coward. He said she's three hundred pounds. Yeah, he exaggerated that trying to get a call,
0: and then she can. Nobody even heard it until she made a point of it. Well, people, the, the players heard it, obviously, yeah, and the players heard it, and that's why she, he was fined. Yeah, as a coach, you don't talk to the opponent, play, opposing players. You just don't do it. You want to jaw with the the officials. That's one thing. You want to, with the opposing coach. That's the, the proper etiquette, but you just you just don't do it, and especially the way everything is now today with the social media. Coaches have it's never talked out. to
1: refs before and tried to get a call by no. saying something about a player? You don't think coaches said, hey, Shaq, he's a, he's a, he's no, a, with he's players. a monster in there and that, and he's throwing guys no, around?
0: That's what I said. You, The coaches talk to the refs. They talk to the opposing coach. You don't talk to a player. But, but he wasn't. Don't. He talked to the
1: referee. Yeah,
0: but about a player. You can't insult a player like that. You, you, you
1: know? How soft have we gotten? Well, why did he get fined then? Because that's how soft
0: we've gotten. O- okay, okay. But, but uh, so so, but she can okay. come out
1: and say. But as he's a, a coach, white
0: man, he's a this, no, he's a that. That's he's... another. That's another argument. But you don't say that. That's etiquette. You just don't do it. You just don't do it. You you don't talk about, especially a female player, you know how the weight situation is. You don't do it. And again, he was wrong. He knows he's wrong. You can't justify what he did. You can talk to the refs all you want. You just don't say anything about that player. And And a woman in weight, that's taboo. You don't do it. He's better off yelling at the referee, yelling at Bill Lambeer. Now, Liz Cambage's comments, that's on her... I don't think anyone is going to sit there and defend what she said. Did she have to take it to that level saying that? Of course not. That sounds petty. And again, you could, you know, we talked about Brooks Kepka yesterday. Brooks Kepka, just, he should have kept his mouth shut. Liz probably, you know, could have taken the high road here or released a statement. But when you start to accentuate certain words and that sort of thing, that's not going to make her. Come across uh, very good. How many but. times did
1: he accentuate little man, little little that's little? Where the, are you right. at? Where are you? This that right. and everything. Yeah, she, 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 she can do she, that, but he can't say he, he 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 exaggerated her weight. What did he do so and bo- What because it's a women's league, so equal pay, equal this, equal that. But you can't say this about them that you can about men. Charles Barkley was the round mounder rebound for crying out loud. It was like a term of endearment. I I don't. we we're, we're we're totally not on the same page on this one. We don't need to be on the same
0: page. No, I, again, it's just—it's not just, say- it's, it's got nothing to do me and you. I mean, this is just etiquette. You—you you can't compare what a man says to a man in the NBA and what a man, a coach says to a female player. You can't. That's not right. It's not right, and that's why he got—he got fine. If you did it, you would get fine. Anybody else did it? Yeah, you'd get because fine. of the world you'd we live suspended. in today. Exactly. You have to know the rules you play in, so you, you can't make up your own rules. Okay, you say that, you are gonna be reprimanded. But wait a second, but what if you've always grown up with these rules and now the rules have changed? You gotta adapt. It's like yeah, you never used a computer before for twenty years ago. You gotta adapt, right? You have to adapt okay. to society. So the right? coach can't say anything, but the player can come back and fire off and say whatever they want to. Again, what they do with her? is that, and you heard what I said that you, I'm not going to sit there and defend what she I, said. I just, I I'm just, not, I'm just reporting I don't the see story. What he did
1: so wrong. Yeah.
0: I just don't see what he did yeah. so wrong. And, and there are people out there that, that's, that see that, but the majority of the people again, and all it really counts is again, just, you need to have some class. I mean, they were winning that game when he was, he was doing that again, that's just not going to play well. and, A lot of these stories that we talk about where people say something and then they turn around and apologize, and we always say this, that you go through like, well, could have said it uh, a year ago, could have said it five years ago, and especially a lot, you know, with the BLMs and all this other stuff, people said all those things, but you got to be careful what you say. Do you think there's
1: any sincerity in his apology? Because to me this is an apology strictly because he got
0: suspended and fined. No, he apologized before. He he got suspended and fined a day later. So, yeah, I think there's definitely sincerity. Because you know why? And, again, you know I know a player on that team. So those players didn't agree with what he said. And that's the problem. When you're a a male coach in a female league, you have to be careful. Derek Fisher, if you remember this, Derek Fisher got in all kinds of uh, trouble, was surprised that he kept his job with the L.A. Sparks because his own team did not agree with his actions and what he said last year. Main reason Candace Parker left the Sparks to go elsewhere because she didn't want to play for Derek Fisher anymore. So, yeah, when you're dealing with, uh, you know, the gender situation, you got to be careful. I think plain and simple. (laughs) All right. Well, you know, uh,
1: in Iowa, they love their sports, and one of their best Mm -hmm. basketball players, Jordan Bohannon, Three-point shooting star, just set the record for uh, most threes in a season for Iowa in in a career, and he's just announced that he's coming back for his sixth season because with COVID and that, the NCAA has said that players can come back for a sixth year if they want to, even after their senior year. Well, he was in a bar recently, just hanging out with some friends, and all of a sudden, he got sucker-punched. He went to the hospital. He got laid out. Now, there is video of this, but you don't really see exactly what happens. You hear some guy talking and saying, oh, come on, make my night. I dare you to do something and make. And then you kind of see people heading over, and you just see Bohannon just laying on the ground just laid out there. Police don't know exactly what, who initiated the punch. They're still investigating that. But the person that put it up on Twitter and has the video, I thought it was interesting. Because their handle is like Punch Face Unlimited or something, some some kind of strange name like that. But the tweet basically says, "This happens in this bar every night at closing time." Basically, so I don't know if it's just a bar that maybe they he shouldn't be hanging out at. Uh, he also said in the tweet that your posse and your and your crew has to. Watch your back more because this kind of stuff does happen there. But Bohannon goes to the hospital. He's going to be okay, but he was kind of knocked unconscious, and uh, he was in a little bit of rough times for a while there. But, again, just hanging out in a bar and apparently somebody just walked up and just sucker punched him but it must have been a hell of a punch because they knocked him to the ground so do we know is was this
0: a, a, a not an Iowa fan was it somebody who was anti Iowa like fan it looked
1: like an Iowa bar it was right in a, in, in Iowa City there so you know it, it's because where, i know he's beloved
0: there i mean yeah, like he, you said he's he, been he, there forever no, He's okay, a great school maybe
1: it was somebody that had a couple drinks maybe he missed a 3 that he lost a bet on maybe he's not an Iowa fan that's maybe I was wondering yeah you know i don't know that and again it is everything's under investigation right now and you don't really see it clearly but you do clearly mm. see him just laid out on the ground and it looked like he was just kind of leaning up against a a, a jukebox or a, some kind of maybe a you know a, one of those golf machines yeah. or something yeah. just kind of hanging out but somebody apparently just walked up and i don't even think he knew it was coming because from the reaction of the crowd there he was just laid out, and I don't know if he knows why he was laid out or why
0: they chose him to be the person that they punched. What I think is most funny about that is that the borrower owner, somebody said, you better watch out for you and your posse. I didn't know Jordan Bohannon had a posse. Well, everybody does. <laughs> Any crew that you hang around with can be a posse, I
1: guess, or whatever. But, uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, hopefully Bohannon mm. will be okay, and mm. he'll be ready for the mm. season coming up. But he will be back on the court. But, yeah, you know, be careful. Always have your head on a swivel when you're in a bar. Yeah, any bar. Col- you know, college town take it pretty seriously. That's and maybe yeah, somebody yeah. just wanna make it make a name for him. Hey, wait, I recognize him. If I punch him, I'm big man on campus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, uh the Dallas Cowboys linebacker, Jalen Smith, is one of the first to change his jersey number. So I don't know if you heard about this. Jalen Smith went to Notre Dame, had that uh horrific uh uh injury in the fiesta bowl i was at that game when that happened about four or five years ago he's turning his number 54 into number nine which he wore at notre dame now remember the nfl changes number policy this offseason allowing linebackers to wear numbers one through 59 or 90 to 99 so smith wore like i said nine at notre dame and he chose 54 with the cowboys because five, five and, four, is and nine. four equals nine so there you go right so here's not the, because he was an Urlacher fan? The, exactly. <laughs> so here's the kicker, though. It will cost him. Not because he has to pay off another player who wore number nine. We'll get to that in a minute. That's not happening. But what is happening is the NFL and the Cowboys are charging him to, for him to uh, change his number. Per NFL rules, he has to buy out the remaining inventory of the 54 jerseys and shirts that are out there being sold with his name on the back in order for him to wear number nine. So he's gonna have to cash off the Cowboys in the NFL. Now, if he would have waited until next year, it wouldn't cost him anything. So what is how
1: strange is this? Well, it does get a little bit stranger because there's a deeper dive going into this. Mm-hmm. Number one, the number nine was Tony Romo's number. Uh, so I'm, Cowboy I, fans uh, are not happy about that. The Cowboys have never officially taken a number and, you know, made it so that nobody else can wear it. They've never retired a number. But Romo, Troy Aikman, Roger Staubach, and Emmitt Smith have never been used again. There is talk down in Big D that because Jalen Smith has not lived up to expectations and they drafted a couple linebackers in this upcoming draft, that they're not even sure he's going to make the team. (laughs) So... You know, they're thinking like, well, it might not come to fruition with him wearing number nine anyhow because he might not be there. He also wore number nine in high school along with in college. So it is interesting, but I guess maybe this is the one way that he knows that he can be one of the top-selling jerseys in the NFL because he's got to buy them all himself. I don't know, but it it is kind of weird. Could you imagine changing numbers, getting getting the fan base, irate about it, and then finding out, oh, by the way, you're out of here.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it'd be hard to – I mean, he's a great player with the Cowboys. I, I but don't, he hasn't uh, lived
1: up to expectations. You know, well,
0: you got when he came out of college, I mean, people didn't even know if he was going to play because of the leg injury that he had. And uh, he's played pretty well in Dallas. But what's even weirder, like you said, is they don't retire uniform numbers in Dallas. They're one of the few franchises that don't re- retire uniform. Of course, number nine, Tony Romo, your all-time touchdown passing leader. A uh, leader in passing yardage. No, he doesn't have number nine retired. And like you mentioned, number 74, Bob Lilly. They've never given that number to anybody. Roger Staubach, number 12. Like you said, have never given that away. No, Emmett Smith, number 22. Troy Aikman, number eight. Never given that away, but we don't retire numbers. But we just don't use them anymore. <laughs> look what they do with number 88. Drew Pearson, right? Hall of Famer. Michael Irvin, Hall of Famer. But Des Bryant's it. C.D. Lamb, I guess in their defense, like, well, we're trying to keep up this number 88 tradition here. But very strange that the history that the Cowboys have and they don't retire numbers. To me, that's really strange. Well, it is a little bit strange, too.
1: And you could say that Drew Pearson and, uh, you know, Michael Irvin, Michael Irvin. It yeah. has some issues off the field and that kind of <laughs> stuff, too, that got him in a little bit. You know, maybe they're like, yeah, maybe these aren't the best numbers to retire right now. Poor Drew Pierce almost got hit in the head with a bottle in in
0: Minneapolis. Remember that? I I remember when he
1: was in a car accident with his brother, and his brother got killed.
0: Yeah. All
1: right. All right. Well, I'm sure you've never heard of this gentleman. His name is Elvis LeBron. He's a baseball (laughs) player. I don't know if I want to. He's a baseball player down in the Dominican Republic. They were playing a game recently, and and he was having some issues with the balls and strikes caused from the umpire. So there's video of this, and they're going on, and he is totally not happy with the ball and strike calls. Well, you know, you can't argue balls and strikes. So the umpire had enough of it and said, get out of here. He heaved him from the game. Elvis did not appreciate this, being tossed from the game. So he took his left hand, and he kind of punched the umpire in the face. He then took his right hand with his baseball bat in it and cold-cocked the umpire, (laughs) knocking him to the ground. Now, you'd think that would suffice as the bench is cleared, but no, Elvis wasn't quite done yet. He then took his helmet and threw it down at him and started beating the umpire down, laying on the ground with the helmet. Finally, bench is cleared. They got him off. He was still screaming stuff at him, trying to get at him again. Took a couple more swings with the bat, but didn't really connect with them necessarily. He was ejected from the game. The umpire tried to remain in the game and finish it out, but about an hour later was having vision problems and headaches and that, and they had to rush him to the hospital, the emergency room. There are reports that Elvis has been arrested for this. However, these reports are not confirmed right now. But, again, what is it that – it's a It's – you're not playing in the major leagues. It's not a million-dollar – It's it's like a baseball game amongst communities and that kind of stuff, and you're taking a baseball bat to an umpire's head – you're trying to kill the guy over balls and strikes? Come on. People
0: take things a little bit seriously sometimes, huh? Now that's that insane. is over the top. That's over the top. That's, but Elvis has left the field. That's terrible. Please, yeah. I don't, want to, I don't think anybody wants to see Elvis anymore. All right. Uh, if you got any terrible Tuesday takes, hit us on Twitter at tcmar 21 at VGKFrank. T.J. Reeves waiting in the wings. He joins us next from Tampa. <laughs>
3: And insanity mixed into a perfect prescription from the doctor TC Martin.
0: All right, the Tampa Bay Rays are on fire, they've won 11 in a row. Mm, Craziness, I can't dispute. My man TJ Reeves saying, Champa Bay a little bit early for that, but the Rays are the hottest team in baseball, as we know. Yes. They are sporting the Super Bowl championship. The Lombardi Trophy is rolling around there somewhere, somehow, who knows what. And I guess you could kind of still say the Lightning are pretty relevant, I guess. Well, yeah, they're very relevant <laughs> still. <laughs> Don't give this guy more ammo than he, than he really needs, because he needs very little. So that's a hell of a series they're having right now with the Panthers. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I think a lot of people, including our friend T.J. Reeves, thought that that series would be over by now. But anyway. Let's bring in our guy from Tampa Bay, the Bucs sideline reporter, T.J. Reeves. What's going on, my man?
2: Always good to be hanging on a terrible Tuesday, and there are so many avenues that we can travel. I, I do have to put it out there, though, again, for right now, all roads lead to Tampa Bay. Right now, with the Stanley Cup and that playoff series, the Red Hot Rays, who are one game away from their franchise record, 12 consecutive wins, longest win streak in baseball right now at 11 straight. There's a lot to be optimistic about right now, my friend. So it's good to be with you.
0: Yeah, those Rays, again, uh, last night, check out this game. So Tampa Bay's playing Toronto. Now, where's this Toronto game? We know it's not in Toronto. Are they back in Buffalo? or Are they still hanging out in Florida? They, have, they are still hanging out in Florida. That's what I they thought. have
2: been here. Like uh, like the snowbirds usually go back to Canada or the Northeast mm-hmm. long about the beginning of April. But the Blue Jays just hung in here an extra two months because they can't go back and forth across the Canadian border so they're playing the games in the Spring Training stadium in Dunedin which is just north of St. Pete and just south of uh, of Clearwater over in Pinellas County so they have been hanging out there playing home games and the Rays got the brooms out on the on the Blue Jays who had been playing well and cleaned them out including a couple of wild extra inning wins are you are you intimating here on a Tuesday edition of the program that you may have been on the rage yesterday, short-term invested for that big comeback and all those runs in the extra innings.
0: No, no investment for me in uh, in that game or any baseball yesterday. I just well, first of all, I think it's kind of uh, strange. So what you're telling me is that both Florida teams uh, in the American League are playing in minor league parks right now. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, <laughs> clearly that's what the Blue Jays are doing in, in theirs. Well, I mean, uh, not Field, Field, I mean,
0: that's Tropicana like minor league.
2: beats about Ugh. four or five times what that, what that place beats. Yeah, but as and we know,
0: yeah, that's, that's not, a, with, not a pretty facility.
2: In, in, well, but in talking with people that were there for this weekend, it, it's the whole thing has been bizarre for the Blue Jays, uh, not unlike what was happening with the Toronto Raptors, where the team is here – but a lot of the people that cover the team, the writers and stuff, they're here. The broadcasters aren't here. So those four games this weekend, as has been the case for every Blue Jay game, their announcers aren't here on TV and radio. They're doing it from the Rogers Center in Toronto, out of the, out of the home press box, out of the empty stadium. And in the case of that small minor league park, there's no room for the Rays television and radio to socially distance, really either. So they were doing the game at Tropicana Field in the empty baseball stadium. So all, all four of those broadcasts had broadcasters in different locales than the game. So it's just welcome still to the wackiness of COVID nineteen guidelines, even in 2021. And those were some wild games but all the announcers were essentially calling on off of TV in another location.
0: You know what uh, Buck Martinez is a very good friend of mine who does mm-hmm. the the radio voice for the Uh, Toronto Blue Jays. I should have him back on again. I love having Buck on because that is kind of unusual. Like you said, I mean, you are broadcasting literally, I don't know what the distance is, what your map is, from whatever you are in Florida to the Toronto uh, Rogers Center. Oh, it's 2,000 miles. 2,000 miles away. All right, so this game yesterday, so the Rays score five in the top of the first. Then they get a zero in the next eight innings. (laughs) <laughs> then they get two in the tenth because we go right. softball extra innings, and then and then, and then uh, Toronto gets or whatever they call them. What, what's the name of that city? I don't want to call them Toronto because they're not Toronto. What what do they, they called? the, the Dunedin? The du-
2: Dunedin Blue Jays. Yeah.
0: Dijon? Dijon? Dunedin? Okay, so they <laughs> they get two in the bottom of the tenth, and then what happens? Your race gets seven in the top of the eleventh. <laughs> What an insane game here. Under the total to over the total and, and flew over. Final score, ladies and gentlemen, fourteen to eight. Sounds more like a CFL score. Well I know that yeah, you could never game, live there it, beca-
1: yeah. because T C has never done eating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. there
2: you go. He he could not do that. But the game the game that was five five after nine innings, you're correct, yeah. finished fourteen to eight. Uh and and welcome to what they're doing with putting a runner on second every extra inning and trying to uh, speed g- games along and in them. I, those two innings took almost an hour to play, by the way, with all the runs being scored and there were a couple of pitching changes. So it was crazy. But uh, this team has come around offensively and it, it is looking good. There's there's a lot of baseball to go through the dog days of June and July. But the, the Rays right now have righted the ship and have tied things up in the American League East with the dreaded, hated Red Sox and the Yankees right on their heels. And the Rays and the Yankees, by the way, will play again starting on Memorial Day in the Bronx coming up next week. The Rays are back at Tropicana Field playing the Royals and the Phillies for the rest of this week, including on a terrible Tuesday. Can I just get a blast off on the Major League Baseball schedule, please? How do we have Friday days off in Major League Baseball where your team is not playing on a Friday? So the Rays and the Phillies – are playing a two-game series, which is on Saturday and Sunday. So the Rays are playing the Royals for the next three days and then taking Friday off. That's just on a terrible Tuesday. That's terrible.
0: I'll give you one better, that the uh, Houston Astros and the Oakland A's on separate occasions had a Sunday off. Who has a Sunday off? Sunday (laughs) is the day everyone. Either you're going to a ballpark, you take the family, or you're at home. That is your relaxation day. That is the best time to watch a baseball game on television. Is Sunday, right? And and they an off day on a Friday? Sunday? No, that is that's insane. That's like Major League Baseball meets BYU. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Did you hear? like BYU. Yeah, that that Not on Sunday. That's exactly, Frank. Right, we do have some breaking news here. There it goes. As you know, TJ Reeves, our cracked staff here, and I say cracked as in ED, our cracked research staff, uh, exact miles right here. You want to play the prices right? Real quick, within five seconds, the exact mileage from your Dun Eaton to the Rogers Center. Go! I, I'm
2: assuming that my t- 2,000 was over, so I'll go 1,700 miles from Dunedin
1: to Toronto. Frank, you want to play? No. Okay, sure. 1,732.
0: 1,357. <laughs> wow. Yeah, see? So it's not that bad. I mean, heck, you know? that. Uh, I thought it was farther than that. I, I would have lost out, exactly. You know, that XLR cable doesn't need to be that long now. Only needs to be, you know. <laughs> 1,379
1: miles. Well, it really doesn't matter what the distance is because you can't make the trip right now anyway, so it's (laughs) a moot point. That's
0: true. (laughs) Exactly. Might as well be a million miles. TJ Reeves joins us from Tampa Bay.
1: Uh, So Tampa Bay, the Rays are doing well. We know that the Toronto teams are down there. Is the plan right now hoping that the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Toronto Maple Leafs meet in the third round of the playoffs, and Toronto will just go down to Tampa as well because we don't know so what the hell is going on with the northern uh, division in
2: hockey? That would. So my understanding is, whomever advances out of Canada for the final four that they're playing, and again, it's not going to be by conference. It's not east against west. It's going to be, I believe, by regular season record. How did you finish in the regular season? And they'll see them one through four. So the Canadian team, whoever it is, will come and set up in closest proximity to their Final Four team, and that's going to be their home base. So in this case, if Toronto were to come out and play the Tampa Bay Lightning, come, come out of Canada, come out of those restrictions, they would probably put them in Miami, believe it or not. And so the Rays... I mean, the Lightning may very well be playing right back in the same arena, even though they're playing Toronto. So they would base Toronto. I don't have this for certain on where it would be, but the goal is have that Canadian team in proximity to the team that they're playing and have them set up in an NHL venue. And so the Panthers venue uh, for hockey, that's, that's theirs because the Miami Heat play in a different arena. So you don't have to juggle with a Miami Heat playoff schedule, for example. So that is logically, if somebody's playing the Rays in the Final Four, they're probably going to base them out of Miami and the Miami Arena for proximity to go back and forth. Now, if they come to play a Western team like Las Vegas, what I have heard is that it would be in Phoenix, where the Coyotes are based in Glendale out in the desert in the middle of nowhere. They'll come come set up as that being the base to play a Western team like the Vegas Golden Knights and then pick your closest NHL city that the, that the Canadian team would come to, depending on if it's another team somewhere else that they're playing. And again, all of that is not going to be based on Eastern versus Western. It's going to be based on who are the four teams left, what were their regular season records, and we're going to see them one, two, three, four. One will play 4, two will play 3, and the winners will play for the Stanley Cup. So it's definitely an odd, quirky schedule, but they've done a great job in making it work. Uh, to this point and, and trying to stay as safe as possible with all the guidelines.
1: You know, something just popped in my head when you said that Toronto, assuming that that's the team and we don't know, we know it's not going to be Edmonton once again, mm. but um, if Toronto went down to Phoenix, would Austin Matthews being from Phoenix draw more crowds, bigger crowds than the Phoenix Coyotes do down there? Because we know <laughs> they don't draw that well, but Austin's from there and they would actually see a good, high potent offensive hockey team. Right.
2: Mm. And it, it's going to be weird because that's going to be the the home game, and it would be the first time that the Canadian uh, clubs have played with fans at any of their games, because they've all played exclusively in Canada in that Northern Division with no one there. I mean, how bizarre on a terrible Tuesday that they can't figure out how to socially distance at least 1,000 people in one of those arenas. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs, have not played in a playoff series in 40-plus years, and they're playing games in completely empty arenas. It's just crazy to watch this. Uh, and, and So anyway, the, the, the Canadian team, it would be wild if, if the Maple Leafs show up in Arizona and suddenly have 8 or 10 or 12. What did they have in Vegas last night, like 12,000? 12, 12, they, they conservatively had something like that. You would probably have that in Phoenix for right. the Maple Leafs if that's their home base.
0: All right, I just think the Toronto should just keep it uh, in in the family there and play where the Blue Jays are playing, play outdoors and done eating there. That's what there it is. <laughs> I mean, keep it in th- Toronto's Toronto. There it is. All right, so NFL, TJ, we go to you, our man in Tampa Bay. Antonio Brown officially back with the Bucks. We know he agreed to terms last month on a one-year deal worth, what, $6.25 million, a $3.1 million guarantee, $2 million signing bonus, but it had to wait until he passed his physical. Remember, he had uh, surgery on his torn meniscus. I guess he got cleared, and now he can cash his checks.
2: Yes, apparently all of that uh, came through over the last day or so, and so it's a, it's a very odd situation across the board across the NFL where you've got some players working out at the team facility for organized team activities, OTAs or wink wink voluntary practice. It's not really supposed to be voluntary, I guess anymore. it is supposed to be voluntary, but it's not. So in this case, um, a lot of the buccaneers were working out yesterday at the New York Yankees Complex right across from Raymond James Stadium. that's, and that's where Tom out.
0: Brady was in the vets. yeah yes. Right. And
2: Brady put the photos out on Instagram. Uh, There and and so the media was salivating over this. And again, on on the local news here, they've got the news helicopter flying over in the morning showing a video of them working out at the Yankees baseball complex uh, instead of working out at the facility while they try to figure out and iron out with the NFL Players Association if they're going to play. And Antonio Brown, I do not believe, was seen working out today anywhere as of yet. And it may, you know, it may be he'll do individual. Uh, stuff with Tom Brady, work out on his own, and then when it comes time for training camp in July, we'll see him. But that's that's one more piece for the Buccaneers as they get ready to defend their championship come this fall.
4: Any
0: truth of the rumor that Antonio Brown showed up in a hot air balloon? to not confirm that because, because he did yeah. if you remember in napa when he signed with the raiders that's how he made his entrance into training camp not with a helicopter with a hot that. air balloon there you go
2: we did yeah. not have a hot air balloon right. signing over the course of the last day and certainly he's trying to mind his business and be a good citizen you want this guy on your
0: team again you really want this guy back didn't they just want a super it's, bowl hey, with him hey, number well, one, no thanks to him headed. let's be clear
2: he got it's, a touchdown, but two yeah. things. It's not up to me, first of all. It's not second
0: oh. second. Why no, are we not. talking to you then for?
2: Second of all, the Buccaneers continue to say he was nothing but a model citizen on and off the field and in the meeting room and the weight room, and he and he understood and still understands there is zero tolerance here if you screw up anything else. And I think it is a lot like what happened with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. I'm playing Frank's song here now and sitting on Dennis Rodman, where if if they could police Rodman and keep Rodman in line and control him and get him to contribute on the court and not misbehave so much off the court, that it was going to create a distraction or problems, it was all going to work. And it's the same thing in the Brady relationship with Antonio Brown. This- I think he is really mentoring him, and at the same time, he's like the police on the team, if you will. He is, he is handling uh, whatever situation may come up, but obviously, if, if there is something else, it may be out of Tom Brady's hands at that point. We'll see.
0: This coming on the heels of a man who just had to settle an out-of-court settlement uh, with uh, the guy he just beat up there uh, last year. So,
1: Well, isn't he also basically on house arrest at the Brady? Right. One of the Brady's <laughs> many houses? Yeah, that's what we say. <laughs> He's probably got
0: an ankle bracelet on or something like that. You can go to the practice facility or stay in the backyard. Yeah, and who somebody who just got kicked out of Brady's place or whatever? We were talking about that last week too, weren't we? Where Brady was, uh, uh, oh Derek Jeter's place, right? Brady right. was staying at Derek Jeter's place, and Derek says, hey, "You got to go. I'm selling this place. You're gone." Right? Exactly. Yeah. So that well, that's been in the works though since last fall. They they have now moved into a new yeah. home. Yeah, get your own Brady place, Tom. Giselle. Let's go.
2: And so, yeah, and I, I don't know if Antonio Brown is with them over in that ex- exclusive neighborhood, not far from Dunedin, by the way, uh, where where Brady would be. So, uh, But he, he did, I mean, this was well-publicized. He did have Antonio Brown staying with him in New England, uh, and he did have, uh, for, for the brief time that he was there, trying to mentor him, and he did have him staying part of the time at the Jeter rental place last season to, again, kind of be out of that same mindset, whatever you want to call it, big brother, father figure, whatever, you need to behave if you're going to do it right. And the Bucks of it have emphasized over and over again, he's done the right things for them, and there is zero tolerance if he screws up again.
0: All right, TJ Reeves from Tampa. All right, my man, what do you want to plug uh, as we uh, get ready to say bon voyage to you? Because I know it's dinner time for you there in the East.
2: Yes, it will be chicken pot pie tonight. Uh, by the way, it is not not the drive-thru. Nunchuck was very concerned about whether or not we were at the drive-thru. We are not at the drive-thru. Uh, but you know what I want to plug? I want to plug a couple of things. First of all, my man T.C. Martin dancing on social media in that get-up, that is outstanding. Uh, we, we could have a whole different segment on that and those dance moves and the retro tuxedo and the hat. What is that hat? What I mean, are you a hat guy when you're going out, rolling like like 1930s and 40s gangster hats and stuff like that with the tux? That was style yeah. and profile. So I'm, I'm, a, big, I'm and a big time hat.
0: I'm a big time hat guy when it comes to that. You know, again, I, you know, it depends on what I'm what I'm sporting. Whether it's a uh, the 70s throwback, uh, you know, the Chicago yep. throw. Whatever. Yeah, I, I have to have the hat that goes with it. And what you didn't see in the picture was uh, the cane as well, too. Remember, this is a guy that got married with a top hat. And tails and cane. So don't forget that back in the day.
1: So are you TC the cool you... cat in the hat?
0: I like that. We'll go that. cool cat in the hat. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. <All> right. <laughs> Please do Dr. Seuss on this show, though. The
2: other the other thing is, we are, we are talking here on a terrible Tuesday on the 56th anniversary of Muhammad Ali, Sonny Liston, and the yeah. controversial one punch. Was it a punch? The Was phantom it a phantom punch? punch? Yeah. Was it a knockout? You and I and our buddy Marquise Johns of uh, BigFightWeekend.com, the website and the podcast, we actually did a video show about this. So I'm just plugging away on the T.C. Martin Show that your audience should check out T.C., T.J., and Marquise debating about whether that Ali-Liston fight, because the, the talk has been forever that that fight was fixed from the from the jump in 1965 when they fought it, and it's now... Uh, you know, sixty, you know, fifty-six years ago that they fought. So, but we debated that, and that is on YouTube under the Big Fight Weekends YouTube page. I put the link out on social media. You can put it on tcmartinshow.com. dot com. We have a good twenty twenty-five minute debate. That was a year ago we did that, right? That was a year yeah. ago
0: when was the fifty-fifth anniversary. We a year ago on the fifty-fifth
2: anniversary. It's now the fifty-sixth <laughs> anniversary, and it's timeless, my friend. I like it. You are timeless on the on the debate. Uh, about was that a punch or not, Ali Liston too, was the fight fixed? Because there was so much belief that it was fixed, that all the, the mafiosos and all the Vegas gambling types, they they knew that, that there was big money to be made if Liston got knocked out in the first round. So catch our debate on YouTube all right. while we're plugging things.
0: There you go, my man. All right, great stuff uh, as always. Enjoy your chicken pot pie. Ugh. Chicken pot pie yeah. for tonight.
2: We're looking for a 12th straight Rays
0: win. Yeah. We're looking for a series win
2: for the Lightning tomorrow night to move on in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Hopefully the Vegas Knights yeah. don't give it away, choke it away, gag it away to the Minnesota Wild, and, and maybe that, that Vegas-Tampa Bay Stanley Cup final stays in play here yeah. for later on in the we year. we got to look
0: at the dates when this could happen because T.J. Reeves on his way to Vegas at the end of June. Uh, maybe you could be here actually working slash enjoying yeah, could Let me be.
2: say this I I don't that town is ready to hold a lot and you have a you have a bunch but is that town ready for TJ and crew crew to roll in if it is a lightning Vegas Golden Knight Stanley Cup playoffs and the Raves crew is rolling in there because I believe I looked at the schedule I believe they would still be playing the Stanley Cup Finals theoretically that last weekend in June
0: so, VJK so Frank do you see cool that ready. on the horizon do you see that as being the Stanley Cup final? I think both teams
1: better concentrate on getting out of the first round right now. Yeah, get out
0: of the first
2: round
1: and the second round too. Well, yeah, but the the, the first, first, yeah, the the second round for Vegas. Some people think might be the toughest round they have should they win the cup. Right, because Colorado
0: is awaiting, waiting Waiting patiently. All right, my friend, Uh, great stuff. We will talk to you. Check him out. Big fight weekend. He's got some great podcasts there. Uh, and uh, love talking to yep. him about everything happened in Champa Bay alright brother, be good, we can hardly wait uh, to get you here next month, take care
2: alright, uh, dinner time here tonight always be well, good to be with my initials brother and, right. and the crew there at the TC Martin Show, you guys behave if that's possible on a terrible Tuesday
0: alright, TJ Reeves joins us when we come back uh we got all kinds of stuff happening. More VGK talk. Sam Gordon's gonna join us as well, too, as we talk aces, we talk some boxing, we talk everything here. It is a terrible Tuesday. I that you. Yeah. Bang, bang, bang out the go! pass applause. Here come the aces on the run. De-energizer, click for Ty Young. sprints to the hoop, off the glass, and good, good, good,
1: good, good.
3: The entertainment capital of the world. Oh, uh, mercy! It's the T.C. Martin Show. Show, show,
0: And here we go. Get ready for the fourth quarter of game number four.
3: It's time to get your daily prescription from
2: the doctor. Hey,
3: he's
4: going to let one fly! Just three! Chances three! The
5: energizer! Get a three for me this? Are you kidding me?
3: T.C. Martin. There were six seconds to go and De-Energizer hit a wild, crazy, improbable
0: three to give the Aces the lead.
2: The doctor is now in. in, in, in.
0: Our number deuce here on this Tuesday. Glad to have you with us. Remember, everything up on the website, tcmartinshow.com. Check out our latest uh, VGK articles and our interview with Timothy Bradley, the five-time former champ and ESPN boxing analyst, up on the website. Good stuff yesterday with that. Make sure you check all of that out. And uh, our classic interview page, party page, photos, all that stuff there. Check it all out. All right, TC, Ballpark Frank. Except, you can, can you see Numbchuck's picture on the website? Or have we taken that off? I, I don't know. I don't know. Have we? He's... He wants to be the mystery man. He doesn't want his face being seen, so he wants like mask pictures up there. Well, I mean, he's got he's got
1: like 400 masks. He yeah. could probably wear one <laughs> different mask and different T-shirt every time. <laughs> he could have the the numchuck of the day. Yeah,
0: I don't know <laughs> if anybody really wants that or not. There you go. All right, glad to uh, have you with us. Uh, check out uh, rvdcbd.com. And remember, RVD's headstrong video making a big uh, resurgence back. If you haven't seen that, uh, when we talked to RVD last week, you know that's uh, w- one he's most proud of. And of course, the WWE Icon series that uh, debuted last week is out there on the Peacock Network as well too, and uh, very well done by Pete McKinney and everybody there associated with the WWE. So check that out. And RVDCBD.com, his company, uh, doing uh, fantastic as well too. Go to the website, get 21% off anything on the website. Use the promo code TCRVD, and that is RVDCBD.com. The smokables, the edibles, the tinctures, the creams, the oils, it's all there for you. Check it all out, RVDCBD.com. Use the discount.
1: Yeah, it's all there, and I'm just wondering, are they still babysitting the puppy?
0: Probably, yeah. Every time I see Katie Forbes, she has a puppy in her paws there.
1: Well, I mean, it, it, it's kind of appropriate because Chuck had the puppy dog eyes when she was in here last yeah. week. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> You like Katie Forbes, huh? Philip from Galt liked uh, Katie Forbes as well, too. I think that's why he called. Yeah. Yeah, Philip, uh,
1: I'd say made his day, but I don't think day is near enough time. It made at least his week. Mm-hmm.
0: No doubt. All right. Love having RVD in. So good stuff. Very, very busy is WWE. Uh, Hall of Fame induction just a few weeks back. So. Actually, turning down stuff. He's so busy. He's getting yes.
1: more offers than he can really handle
0: these days. Yes, yes. All right. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights didn't didn't go so well for them last night. They end up losing four to two. It was Game 5 at T-Mobile Arena. A lot of us thought it was going to be the closeout game. I say a lot of us because I said I, I picked it. I thought the series would be over. We talked about it. I said I, I thought it was going to be 5-1. Yeah. I had the total right. Yep. Just way off on who was getting how many goals. Only one person that we know of picked the Minnesota Wild. That was Numchuck. He actually picked it. He told me, he goes, don't bet on the Knights. He picked it. Just sacrilegious. You doing that.
1: Well, why uh-huh. is it sacrilegious? I, I, mean, just, I mean, he had I'm a feeling, thinking. you
0: know. He had a feeling. I, I mean, know. you know. And, and I admit, I thought the Wild would win one of two games back in Minnesota in games three and four. I, th- I thought happen. they would. T-
1: like I said, this yeah. has been the home ice disadvantage series. Yeah. Five games, the road team has won four of the five.
0: Game one, the one nothing game, where Minnesota won here. In overtime. In, in overtime. overtime uh, the freak goals, we like to call off the skate of uh, Alec Martinez, right? Game two. 3-1 Golden Knights respond. Game 3, 5-2 Golden Knights. Game 4, 4-0 Golden Knights. So yeah, forgive me in a lot of us that thought this series was O-V-E-R. Thought it was done. But last night, the uh, Golden Knights, Mark Stone... Lights the lamp there midway through the first period, one nothing. Crowd going crazy and again. The biggest crowd that they've had so far this season, yeah. twelve thousand plus. Allowed to have, yep, yep. And uh, it was electric in there. It was fantastic. I was fortunate enough to be sitting by the ice last night. I really, uh, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed sitting down there. And I've done that like quite a few times. I'd say quite a few. I probably have sat there like four or five games over the course of the last few years. And uh, it was nice to be down there with that. Except when you're that low. And I remember last time I was there that they played the Winnipeg Jets, and Winnipeg scored all these goals in the first period down at the far end. And the same thing happened last night yeah. with the Wild. So you got an idea where I was sitting there by the blue line, mm-hmm. and but so I'm, I don't have the gr- the greatest vantage point because like three rows back, and so I got to rely on the jumbotron. I don't like that. And then so Stone, you know, scores, you know, right in front of me. And then three goals just like that uh, by the Wild, it's 3-1 and you're just getting that feel. It's like, the Knights can come back and do this. So I was expecting a period two, like we saw from the Golden Knights in Minnesota, where they just went boom, boom, boom. And we got a little bit of that, but pretty much the Wild, they they were done scoring. That 3-1 lead held up, final score 4-2, and the Golden Knights fought hard, a lot of grit, a lot of determination but just couldn't get over the hump last night.
1: Yeah, and like you mentioned, Stone got them off to the lead. But, you know, I don't think Minnesota had their first shot till almost nine or ten minutes into the period that they couldn't get anything on net. Then when they did, you know, they scored right away. I think they scored on two of their first three shots, uh, three of the first five, three for seven in the period because both teams were, you know, the shots were even at seven apiece after the first period of play. And then after that, as far as shots on goal, Vegas just absolutely completely dominated. 22-1. to I think it was forty to fourteen in the game itself, so thirty three to seven after that. And remember the one shot on goal wasn't really even a shot on goal. It was the empty net goal that banks off and it somehow finds its way in yeah. there where Petrangelo goes hell bent trying to yeah. stop it, crashing into the net. I'll tell you what, I'm thinking to myself when that happens, it's like Vegas go Knights fans better hope he doesn't hurt himself on that because he really aggressively tried to keep them yeah, in the did. game and stop that. Yeah. You know, it was a great effort but couldn't get there in time. But Vegas did everything but put the puck in the net, but that's what you have to do. Cam Talbot, I thought, was really good last night, and when he wasn't, his defensemen were right there. They were clearing out the crease again, like they did in the games in Vegas, like for whatever reason they didn't do in Minnesota. And the one goal that was past Talbot, and he even turned around, but... His teammate came up and he pushed it back in between his pads. I mean, there was a few of those. Uh, the, the the shot where the defenseman was laying on the ice and he literally just put it under his leg and he blocked the puck. I mean, that stays alive with Talbot looking around, probably about to lose his stick or something. That goes in. I know people talk about puck luck and you talk about shots and goal and everything. Vegas outplayed him in the game, and that's one of the... Beautiful yet frustrating things about this game. And as people watch it more and more, and the fans see more seasons of it, hockey's a weird game. You can completely outplay the other team and lose. That doesn't happen in most other sports.
0: Yeah, and we see this time and time again where we talk about the shots on goal stat. A lot of people look at that and they take that as, you know, basically, you know, that's the way the game goes. And it's not the case. But, you know, like last night, perfect example. I mean, the Golden Knights just thoroughly dominated. They had the puck in, in Minnesota's zone pretty much the entire game. They had all the play last night. And, again, you have 40 40- to 14 shots on goal. And like i have never seen a second period that I can recall like that, 22 to 1. And Minnesota's been consistent with not playing well in the second period. They've and been horrible it, all year long. Yeah, all year. Not just this series. No, no, not right. just this series. All, year. all season. Yeah. The second
1: period and is another, abysmal for
0: them. Another reason why I thought, okay, Golden Knights are going to come out of that locker room in period number two, and they're they're going to take control of this. And and they didn't. But Minnesota turned it up last night, and they made some adjustments themselves. Just it wasn't just the, the physical play, and the game was very physical. And that was very cool to watch down close to the ice, too. Both teams really getting physical with each other. But for me, the way they played last night, Minnesota, that first period was probably the best period of hockey they played in this series, probably right next to you know the first period they played in game number three at their place uh you you can make the argument maybe one was better than the other but periods two and three last night they were hanging on for dear life in the golden knights yeah they had plenty of chances they had plenty of opportunities and you talk about this game of hockey with luck i mean literally it's an old cliche we say it in football but really in hockey it is a matter of inches it is a game of inches there's so many times there you thought that puck was going in the net and uh, it was crazy it was crazy but uh, yeah shots on goal ridiculous uh, yeah, but Minnesota we got to give them credit uh, especially in that first period they came out like gangbusters and the Golden Knights just they couldn't withstand it
1: right and again to Minnesota's credit and to show that you know even when you think you know you don't necessarily know that's why they play the games you know. as one of those cliches is but I said I thought Vegas was in a win and kind of roll in and five nothing or, or five oh, to yeah. one. You said Minnesota shouldn't even make the trip, yeah? Because <laughs> they quit and they they well they didn't quit. And it does show heart. I'm curious to see what kind of effort they give. Do they play like they did last night and really kind of like they have all three games here? Cuz remember, even that second game they lost 3 to 1. They were up one to nothing in that game. They were playing well and then it kind of got out of hand and they gave up the three goals and they lost that game. They've played much better in Vegas. Than in Minnesota, now obviously you can say that, well, of course, they lost both games in Minnesota. But even just watching the games, if you have an opportunity you want to, review the games again. Watch them over again. They were terrible in Minnesota. It wasn't the same team. They weren't physical. They weren't muddying up the neutral zone. They were letting guys get free in front of the net. They made it more difficult on Cam Talbot. Cam Talbot was very good last night, but the defense in front of him, despite giving up all those shots, was there to make sure that when he gave up a rebound, it didn't get past him. When the puck did get past him and it was trickling, they stopped it from crossing the line. So they did enough to win the game. Vegas has a tendency to, when they play bad, they just can't score goals. And I'm not even going to say they played bad last night. They couldn't find a way to get it. Minnesota was playing it seemed like they were clinging on for dear life after the first period. I think they took advantage. They got a couple goals that maybe they didn't think they'd get. You know, you don't expect to score three times a Marc-Andre Fleury on seven shots, but last night they did. I think Flower's going to be incredible at the start of that next game. Historically, he has been. We've seen that in the past. So I don't know what's going to happen, but if you're the Minnesota Wild, you have to go into that game, and however many fans you're playing in front of, you kind of got to forget about them. You got to act like you're in the bubble again. You've got to play your hockey. You're not there to try to make a Sports Center highlight or a Tic Tac goal and make everything else. You need to win the game, and they win the game by being physical, by being gritty, by quite frankly playing some ugly
0: hockey. Yeah, and I'll tell you, the the two consistent factors have been Minnesota starting off fast, basically in every game. I get you know maybe throw out game number four because they lost four nothing, but still. Um, I don't remember Golden Knights scoring right away, but first periods have been the key for Minnesota. They played well. Second periods have been awful, and the Golden Knights have been fantastic in the second. And then it just depends on what you get in the third periods. But I got a feeling that Minnesota is probably going to come out and play well in that first period, and if they can get some momentum, then we could be coming back here for a Game 7, and then you'll have this team winning two in a row and having all the mojo in the world. And then again, if you're a Golden Knights fan, You start having these flashbacks of San Jose, you know, when you had that you know situation as well, too, which you don't. And I know there was a little bit of that that you know people were talking about last night. Hey, okay, this is the night. Very confident coming into this. We're gonna close this out. Haven't closed out a series at home. They is as much success as this team has had in their in their short tenure here, only four seasons. They have never closed out an opponent on their home ice. So everyone believed that this was going to be the chance to do it. I think it was what three or, or four occasions now. So they're 0 for 4 in that. So now you go on the road, okay, you know, this is probably what's going to happen. But you give this team, like Minnesota, that second life. And I was really watching these guys' faces last night, Frank. Minnesota played calm last night. They played with that calm demeanor they're like nothing was bothering them then. They were focused last night, and like you said, if they could bring that for sixty minutes on their home ice, we could be having a game seven and it's crazy because we kind of flip flopped with this series and until you know Vegas won you know basically three games in a row. Or think, okay, yeah, they're going to do it. But now it's flipped back. I mean, how much mojo do you think Minnesota gains from this victory last night and now going back home? Well, I think they should be supremely confident.
1: They were a good home team all season long. But there's something weird in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And this happens all the time, year after year. Home ice advantage isn't necessarily the same in the playoffs. And like I say, I don't know what it is. You know, is it people... Calling and asking for tickets. Are there other distractions at home that you don't have on the road? You know, you don't have, and this isn't a knock on families or nothing, but you don't have the wife and kids to worry about at home. You don't have to get the kids ready for school. You don't have people calling you for tickets and that sort of stuff. You're there with your teammates, especially in this day and age, probably kind of locked down in a hotel, maybe going out to dinner together or something. You're there focusing against hockey, and it's you against the world type mentality when you're on the road. When you're at home, you have a lot more distractions. So, And the the other team kind of rallies together against it. I mean, we've seen it in hockey before. When the L.A. Kings won the Stanley Cup, what did they do that one season? They won three consecutive Game 7s on the road because they were the last team in the playoffs. There's something about hockey that's unlike some of the other sports where being on the road can sometimes be advantageous for teams, Uh, you know. Vegas needs to try to win one more on the road because they don't want to come back here for a Game 7 because anything can happen in a Game 7. By the way, the other thing that's going on right now, Colorado sitting back going, take as long as you want because we're resting up, we're getting healthy, we're having a little bit of morning skates and things like that. They've been on a roll. They swept St. Louis. Now, again, the one advantage to that, for the Golden Knights, or maybe the Minnesota Wild, because we don't know yet for sure. I still think it's Vegas. I think they're going to win this series. Nazem Kadri, by the sweep, isn't going to be available until a Game 7 of that second-round series. But you still have to get there to play that. I still think it's Vegas and Colorado in the second round. But, yeah, you've given Minnesota more life now. You need to go up there and play like you did in Minnesota. I don't know that Cam Talbot can have a performance like that again. I don't think they can afford to have another second period like they did last night and still stay alive. But you know what? They're alive right now. And
0: if it gets to a Game 7, then it's nail-biting time for everybody. Game 6 tomorrow night, 6 p.m., face-off, uh, the game in St. Paul. And uh, they we'll, we'll see what happens in, in this game. If it goes according to form, well, Golden Knights could close it out in 6, winning on the road. Again, they won games 3 and 4 on the road, 5 to 2 and 4 to nothing. So we will see what happens, but uh, Game 6 uh, tomorrow night. So and,
1: and real quick, let me throw this in, too, what you just said there. They've never clinched a series at home. How much pressure would that put on them <laughs> in a Game 7? Yeah. Now you're either going to do it for the first time in your career, in your history, or you're out of the playoffs again.
0: Again, and that won't, you know? won't sit
1: And well. then Double B, Brian Benowitz, just becomes a Jets fan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 because what is up with Edmonton that they can never get out of the first oh, yeah, round? Yeah, you yeah. have two of the best, but arguably two of the
0: top five players in the world. It's hockey, man. It is. Again, we talk about this all the time. You talk about anything can happen in Game Seven. I was saying anything can happen in Game Five. Anything can happen in Game seven. It doesn't matter. Anything could happen. And I was talking to some of our, our, our media friends, you know, last night, walking out of the building, and I was like, "Are you surprised?" Like. No, not really. I mean, really? Can we be surprised? And when you think about that, no. We, we shouldn't be surprised at anything. Because, again, I mean, you go back to that San Jose series a couple years ago, even last year, you know, in in the bubble, and then, you know, last night. I mean, everything pointed to the Golden Knights. That's why, yeah, I, I, I said it. I mean, after the Golden Knights won three games in a row, and the way they outshot them and, and outscored Minnesota in those three games and winning two of those games, both of those games – uh, on Minnesota's home ice, comfortably, and, and comfortably in four, nothing shutout. Minnesota looked like they they were done. I mean, who would not anticipate the Golden Knights, you know, winning that game last night? And again, the, and I think we touched upon it yesterday. It Was just like, they just got to be, they got to be careful the way the game starts. And sure enough, I mean, come on, three giving up three goals. How many of those goals are on Flurry from last night? And how many of those are good goals or just kind of freak goals? Of those three I in the first period. I would have re- to re-review them again. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: it seemed like they're the saves that Fleury's been making in the playoffs for the most part. I thought part. one
0: was a you great, know? great yeah. goal on on the Wilds' part, and the other two very shaky. Yeah. And,
1: and, and I thought the turning point was Greenway's goal to make it 3-1. Yeah. Because Greenway's a guy who, you know, he's a big body. Like we mentioned even later on in the game, he actually had the audacity in some people's minds to... Give Marc-Andre Fleury a little face wash and, you know, throw the yeah. punch. White Cloud was in between them and that. But he's a guy that they had high expectations for but hasn't necessarily lived up to him. So he hasn't really been that big goal scorer. But when he got that goal and it made it 3-1, to one, you could kind of see Minnesota go, okay, now we just have to maintain. You knew that they were going into an offensive bubble after mm-hmm. that. You knew that they were going to try to hold on. And I honestly thought that was going to be their detriment. All right. And again, in the second period, 22 to 2 to 1. Minnesota had no power plays. You know, Vegas had the two. They scored the one power play goal. Minnesota held on for dear life. But the third goal, I thought, was the big one when they were just like, okay, now we're gonna dare you to beat us. We're gonna get in front of Talbot. He's gotta play good, but we think he can. In fact, maybe great. And we are gonna Dare you to try to beat us. And then of course you hear about that old adage in hockey. The most dangerous lead is a two-goal lead. When Vegas got that power play goal, I thought, okay, now they have the momentum. But Minnesota cracked back down. And like you said, the Golden Knights had the majority of play. All the play was in the end of Minnesota. I mean, depending on what end of the ice, like you mentioned where your seat were was. You either saw a ton of it. You saw like 18 of the 20 minutes of action, <laughs> or you were looking down at the other end to watch the action. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I like actually being high in some oh, of hockey agree. games because you can really see the play develop and all that. But, yeah, yeah. but Minnesota, it, to me, it's a dangerous type of game to play because you're asking your goalie saying, okay. It's like having a pitcher in a one nothing game and going, okay, go out there and beat them. And it's like, can you get me a little insurance here? Yeah. But they didn't get it, and last night they didn't need it. I think Minnesota's got to play better in Minnesota even than they did last night because I don't think Talbot can be that good, and I certainly don't think Marc-Andre
0: Fleury given up three goals on the first seven shots. You wouldn't think so. I wouldn't have thought that last night as well. Well, nobody would ever exactly. think it, And that's the thing. I mean, this you can say whatever you want. These games are really hard to predict, and it seems like we, we say this... You know, going into every one of these games, and and and, and they after take on a life
1: of their own. Once something ha- again, yeah. w- once that kind of happened, you don't know what you know, the reaction is going to be. Yeah, it, again, Vegas has a one nothing lead. You're like, okay, here we go. Yeah, Minnesota is about to fold. It's one nothing. It's an elimination game. They're finally going to get it mm. done. It's the biggest crowd of the season. Mm. Everything is pointed for VGK. And then bang and go. Okay, well they tied it. Oh wait, now they have the lead. Now they got the right. third goal.
0: What the hell's going on? But here is the key with that one. Just like we talked about that Marciuso goal in what, in game number two, yeah, right? Eighteen seconds after Minnesota. Look scored. how quickly this one happened last night. After Stone
4: yeah. got him like up one on nothing, first, and it was
1: like on the first shot for Minnesota. Yeah, and it was like they, they boom. didn't even have a shot, and then all of a sudden yeah. they have a shot and a goal, and it's like right. Okay, we're back to even, everybody. Yeah,
0: just like that. I mean, there was no time really for that crowd to get settled in yeah. and, and really feel confidence, like. Whoa. And that's why again, if it, and I know some people say momentum's not a real
1: thing. Oh, it's uh, if you've ever sport. watched sports yeah. and you don't think momentum is real, then I'm sorry in my opinion, you have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Momentum is Definitely a real thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Especially, like I said, if you've played or coached or you're, you, you you follow it closely, you cover it. Yeah, yeah you're, Ask you, Pete DeBoer about the it. momentum when he, no not, when he
1: was on the bench with San Jose no with
0: the not a major. No doubt. Which I know nobody ever wants to hear about, but it's part of the history. It is. All right, looking forward to game number six tomorrow night, Golden Knights, and the Minnesota Wild. They'll face it off at 6 p.m. When we come back, Sam Gordon's going to join us. Uh, we're going to talk... A little aces, some boxing, some NFL, and a whole lot more coming your way. TC Martin Ballpark, Frank, on this terrible Tuesday.
5: You're listening to some bullshit on the TC Martin Show. One, two, three, four. Get up, get on up, get up.
0: Get All right, the Las Vegas Aces get a victory last Friday night, but they couldn't uh, duplicate it on Sunday. The Connecticut Sun, too much for them. The Connecticut Sun, the only undefeated team in the WNBA at five and zero. Oh and uh our good friend Sam Gordon who covers the aces for the RJ and uh, also a, a frequent I like to say a regular on our game day broadcast that joins me at halftime all the time and always good to talk with Sam then always good to talk with Sam on the show now what's going on Patna TC how you doing my man we're doing Appreciate great you fun. yeah so uh, I want to talk a little aces with you I guess you know let's let's start talking about the a story that 's really kind of taken on another life of its own that 's a Liz Cambage story uh, you know we 're watching the game there on Sunday at the Michelob Ultra Arena at the Mandalay Bay, and uh, we saw Kurt Miller, the coach of the Connecticut Sun, uh, join at uh, at the officials and uh, at one end when he was uh, trying to get a call. Uh, you know, for his team, thought that Liz Cambage was, you know, bodying up Jonquil Jones and Brianna Jones and and that sort of thing. Uh, He said, hey, uh, basically paraphrasing, saying, come on, you know, let's, uh, you know, give us that call. Uh, For goodness sakes, you know, hey, she's 300 pounds. So, obviously, Liz heard that. uh, Some other players heard that. That didn't go over quite well. Uh, Kurt Miller has since been uh, fined, $10,000 suspended for one game. He apologized. And uh then Liz Cambage goes uh, on her social media platforms and uh takes it to another level. So hearing all that Sam and I know you've been following that story as well too, give us your take.
3: Yeah, I think I'm I'm totally with Liz Cambage on this. Uh I don't think there's 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 trash talk amongst players and that happens naturally during the course of the game and these are players, these are peers that are all on the same playing field uh, representing the WNBA, representing their respective teams and, you know, representing um, themselves in basketball. And in and, and doing that, yeah, there's going to be some trash talk. And, and that's kind of, it's just like, it's kind of an unspoken code that it's okay, you know, for players to talk some trash and Liz Cambay certainly, um, yeah, you know, is a, is a trash talker and plenty of other players around the league are as well. Candace Parker, Diana Taurasi is a notorious trash talker. That's part of it. But like like Liz Cambage pointed out on her Instagram story, there, there's a line when a coach starts trash talking uh, players or, or talking in a way, uh, talking that way, and, and that's just that's 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 uh, regardless of what he actually said. And then you break down the context of the comments, and it's disparaging, it's disrespectful, it's misogynistic, it's, uh, it, it's just really no business talking like that about about any woman, about any person, about any human being. It's it's personal, it's ugly. And it's not cool, and uh, and and it's good on Liz Cambage. You know, you know, Liz. She's not going to stand silent when something like that happens, and she said as much uh, during her comments on her Instagram story that no man is going to disrespect her, and she aired him out, and, and rightfully so, and understandably so, held him accountable in a very, very, very public form, very, very publicly, and uh, and he apologized, and I I think the the league acted swiftly and gracefully, and, and handled it in the way they're supposed to. You can't have um as ever you can't have a, a leader you know one of the leaders in the league with Kurt Miller being the leader of the Connecticut Sun a uh, very very highly successful franchise talking that way about other players uh in the WNBA it's it's completely counterintuitive and hopefully this is just a one-time deal for him and he learns from his mistake and moves forward and hopefully coaches around the league take notice I don't think I don't I, I this is the first I've ever heard of something like this in the WNBA and, and hopefully the last time because there's no place for comments like that, um, just in general, and especially not, not in, in the league uh, right now with, with where things are at.
0: Sam, how much of an effect do you think this has, or is it the same amount? And Say if it's a female coach who is saying this. Say it's like a Sandy uh, Brondello who coaches the Phoenix Mercury. If she makes that comment, uh, are we talking about it as much? Because it is a male coach who coaches a female team, and of course you have the gender situation there.
3: I mean, we're probably not talking about it as much, uh, but, but I think we're still talking about it either way because, you know, like I mentioned, you don't, you coach TC, you're not trash, when you coach, and you're not trash talking players on the other team or making comments about them. It's one thing to argue for a call and, and to get your point, and, and if he wanted to, Talk about you know Liz Cambage's size and strength. He could have been more clear about that and didn't have to disparage her in doing so. He didn't have to bring weight and and pounds into this and turn it into an ugly thing. So to answer your original question, no, I don't think it would have been to the same degree. But there still is a code, a, a code that should be understood uh, by coaches in the W, not just in the WNBA, but in all sports, where you don't trash talk, you don't need to chirp up players on the opposing team. Talk to your own team, get your team ready to go, speak your piece to the officials, but do it in a way that's that's not derogatory, inflammatory, or, or disrespectful, or oppressive, uh, and, and that's what that's what Kurt Miller did.
0: Sam Gordon joins us, covers the Aces, along with UNLV, boxing, and a plethora of other things for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. So Friday night, uh, we're there, the home opener. The Aces firing on all cylinders. Everyone scored. uh, They were crisp. They were sharp, had the transition game going. And we understand it was the L.A. Sparks. It's not Candace Parker. It's not the same type of L.A. Sparks team. Uh, So Sunday, the opponent a much tougher uh, it was ba- basically a tale of quarters here, Sam, where yep. the aces with the eight point quarter franchise low, uh, you know, for them, it was terrible. They were down uh, 18 to eight. They responded back outscored Connecticut 25 to nine in the second. The aces held a six point halftime lead. It was like, okay, here we go. They got untracked third quarter came around and it was like instant replay of the first quarter. And Connecticut outscores the Aces 23-10. to 10. Uh, Bill Lambeer obviously was not happy with the performance. The Connecticut Sun roll out of here with a victory that remain undefeated. Here's Bill Lambeer's comments after the game. Well, we knew it was going to be a
3: bumpy road early in the season, but tonight is a game we probably could have won. Uh, it was unfortunate that, you know, we had a lot of players that didn't really get on track. Uh, you give credit to their defense. Uh, you know, that's who they are. They play solid physical basketball uh but our energy level was was not not there at all today i think that was the most disappointing thing about our team Uh, i got a few energy players from hamby and slocum that came off the bench uh give us a little bit of spark you know got us back in the game got us a lead in the second quarter but the first and third quarters were the starters business and they got their ass whooped and so it was
5: very difficult hole to climb out of
0: got to love bill lambeer i mean he's the guy that doesn't sugarcoat it doesn't hold it back and again he's been trying to tame expectations from a lot of the media ever since they got here and the last two seasons expectations very high He says whoa 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 let's slow our roll here because as we know Sam, I mean, there are better teams out there than the las vegas aces but but back to lambeer uh kind of enjoyable that you have a coach that doesn't sugarcoat it and will tell it like it is
3: yeah, I mean he's he's certainly unfiltered when it comes to when it comes to evaluating the play of his team. And, and frankly, I thought you know for the most part he was right. Uh, the 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 Aces when they're at their best, what do they do? TC? They're dominating the glass with, with Liz Cambage, with Aja Wilson, with the Erica Hamby, and then with the guards. You know, Jackie Young, a very good rebounder uh, on the wing and in the backcourt, and, and then Chelsea Gray can can go in there and mix it up too. Uh, and frankly, re- re- rebounding is a is a is a hustle stat. It's about you know, it doesn't take talent to rebound. It's about energy and effort and, and putting, you know, putting a body on a body, boxing out and, and making sure to secure defensive rebounds. And the, and the Aces got killed on the glass. They got out rebounded by almost a margin of 20, 12 to one on the offensive glass or 13 to one. I can't remember the exact number. And if you can't get out of possessions and you can't get stops, uh, stop. you complete a stop by securing a defensive rebound. You can't get a defensive rebound. You can't get out in transition. And that's very much what the Aces want to do, whether that's, Get into early offense, whether that's you know a, a classic fast break layup, like the kind they had so many of on Friday against the Sparks, or whether that's getting getting into your offense quickly, so so bezier Wilson can get a deep seal early in the possession and, and force help, and, and then you're rotating the ball, swinging, and then open, uh, opening up and creating driving lanes. And the 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 Sun have the person; they have the they're one of the few teams in the league, maybe the only team in the league with the size the length and the physicality to match up with the aces on the front line. I thought you got to give credit where credit is due. Like Lambier said, he credited the Connecticut's defense, and with John Quell Jones back in the mix after sitting out the 2020 season, she is looking like one of the best players in the WNBA. She had 19-11, was a constant presence in the paint and on the perimeter with her three-point shooting, and is one of the few players in the league that can match up with, with Aja Wilson physically, and made made it a long afternoon for the reigning MVP and, and did a really, really good job. So Lambeer knew it was going to be a slugfest, a physical game. He, he said that on Saturday, um, the day before the game, that the Aces are going to be in for a, a clash in styles. And Connecticut was able to kind of dictate the, the tempo and the flow of the game and assert their style, and that's not what the Aces want to do. The Aces, when they're at their best, are cleaning the glass. They're getting out and running. The ball is moving. Uh, they're getting inside. They're getting three points. three-point opportunities are created by getting two feet in the paint. And Connecticut wasn't having any of that. They were switching ball screens. They were doubling on some ball screens. Anything we're getting, keeping the ball out of the paint by any means. And they were able to execute that game plan. And when you take the paint away from the aces, even with their improvements on their perimeter and adding some three-point shooting, uh, it's still a, a style of play that they don't want. They don't want to rely on. And uh, you know, this is they're, they're a championship contender. T.C. This was a. I mean, we know last year. Uh, granted, Alyssa Thomas. You swap out uh, Alyssa Thomas, who's who's out for the year with an injury. You bring in Jacquelyn Jones. They're just as physical, just as tough, and they took the Aces all, all the way to the brink last year in the WNBA semifinals. So they're back. They're a well-coached group. Uh, they play really well together, and they have what the Aces don't right now, and that's reps and chemistry and, and time together. And, and to, to Lambeer's point, uh, I do think that the championship expectations are legitimate when you look at the talent up and down that roster. But they're not going to click. It's not just going to be overnight. I mean, it's, I think the regular season for this team is as much about building chemistry, figuring out the optimal lineups, and figuring out situational basketball and understanding who to go to, where, when, and who, who, who likes the ball on certain spots of the floor. You're, you're implementing Chelsea Gray. You're implementing a Raquana Williams. You're bringing back Kelsey Klump, who, who's gone for a, a few games still with USA Basketball. You're going to have to reintegrate her afterwards. Destiny Slocum's a rookie, trying to figure out her role. So it is going to take some time. And that's what Connecticut had working on their side. They've been a cohesive group for a long time, and they picked up right up where they left off last year.
1: Yeah, obviously it's early on in the season, and Vegas has a lot of new pieces to implement, like you've mentioned. But when I was watching that game at the end Vegas was right back in it they had a chance to win uh, the Aces had a turnover that I thought was very costly it seemed like they were trying to maybe force the ball in the middle a little bit and then after the game there was some talk about maybe Asia Wilson wasn't quite aggressive enough didn't get off as many shots as she as you'd like to see her do maybe that's something you work on a little bit more in the season and certainly you can't get off to those bad quarters like that you know one or two bad quarters in a basketball game can kill you they fought back but when it it came down to crunch time it just didn't seem like they were ready to maybe finish the game like i'm sure bill lambert is going to hope that they do a better job of later on down the road well it takes
3: a lot of energy to come when you when you dig a hole for yourself like that in the first quarter you like like tc said they're down 18 to 8 and and then you have to dig all the way out of that and it takes a lot of energy and effort to do that and then when you have a sloppy third quarter like they did, you have to do it all the way again. And Connecticut is a seasoned group with guards and wings. Uh, I haven't even mentioned DeWanna Bonner, who is one of the best perimeter players in the league, who at six four, six five is long, can handle it, can shoot. Uh, really a matchup nightmare. And she had her way with the Aces defense with her ability to space the floor and shoot, uh, hit a dagger three from the left wing uh, in, in the final minute. So that's a team that knows how to close basketball games. And the, this is the first – you know the first real close game that the Aces had been in this year. The, the other three games were all um, not to say that they weren't competitive, but Seattle controlled the first game. The Aces controlled the rematch, and then the Aces were all over the Sparks. So uh, when 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 games get tight and late in games, that's that's something that takes time and, and it takes experience playing with one another in order to develop. And right, like you know, like you guys are saying, the Aces don't have that yet. Um, I expect them to develop. A, a a a that kind of fortitude later in games as the season goes along. I mean they're gonna play close games. That's just what it's gonna be. Uh this team they've talked about it all, all year that they, they know they have a target on their back based on the talent they have, based on the, the hype that they're getting from, from people like from people like us and uh and based on what they did last year. I mean, this was a team that went to the WNBA finals last year and is an emerging as a juggernaut with, with the kind of roster and kind of talent. That could not just win one title, but could win multiple titles if they get it figured out. And that's what that's what this year I think, in so many regards, is going to be about. I don't expect the Aces to have a top seed, or maybe not even a top two seed. It might be a little bit more challenging of a path to get to the WNBA Finals this year. But if they get things humming, based on their personnel, their guards, their wings, and of course their bigs, the best the best front court in the WNBA, you would think that at some point in time this is a team that's going to be able to turn the corner uh, late late in the season and, and, and make, uh, make a push towards the WNBA championship. It's only the first week. It's only the first week. It's not a surprise that they, that they lost that they're losing to other really, really good teams. It's gonna, it is going to take time. I mean, you have new, new pieces, new players, and in some ways new styles of play with Chelsea Gray's pick and roll ability. It's going to take some time, and I think, I think the patient approach is the right one.
0: You got it. Sam Gordon joins us. The Aces on the road tomorrow. They are playing the Phoenix Mercury. Um, the Aces will be happy to know that Diana Taurasi will be out uh, of this game. She just got diagnosed with an injury the last game they played against uh, Connecticut. She's out for four weeks so that will definitely uh, you know, hurt uh, the Phoenix Mercury. But they still got Brittany Griner. So interesting game tomorrow night on the road in Phoenix. And then the Aces will be back home this weekend with two games against the Indiana Fever. Friday night at 7.30 at the Mandalay Bay and then Sunday afternoon at 3.00. Sam, let's uh, change gears a little bit, so uh, it sandwiched in between there of the basketball games on Friday and Sunday. We had boxing Saturday right. night at the, uh, the Virgin, the old Hard Rock, and uh, Josh Taylor defeated Jose Ramirez. And we talked a lot about this fight last week. We talked about it again yesterday with uh, Tim Bradley, who was on the call there for ESPN. A lot of people don't realize how... Uh, historic of a fight this was, the uh, 140-pound weight division, where four belts were on the line. Taylor had two belts, Ramirez had two belts, and uh, Taylor walked away with all four belts, and you rarely see that anymore.
3: Yeah, you're right. This is what boxing needs. This is what has been missing in boxing. Um, Not just the fact that this is for the undisputed championship, TC, but you're looking at two fighters in their primes, right? Uh, josh taylor at, the, at 30 and jose ramirez at 28 both with undefeated records willing to put that o on the line for to to to, to do something historically great to do something um, that don't, that very few have in boxing this is he's only the fifth uh the fifth fighter to win all four belts uh in, in this era to become the undisputed champion in the, in the four belt era and overall um it, it was a great night for boxing i mean it's a nationally televised fight on espn it attracted uh at one point more than two million viewers for the main event which is a really really good number and uh, it's fights like these that is going to help boxing get back into the mainstream, you see, and um, we, we saw that even a little bit last, last, last fall with Teofimo Lopez, an emerging star, uh, by the way, who wh- whatever you want out of a fighter, he has it: the skill, the power, the speed, the defense, the discipline, and the charisma, uh, and he went out there and, and at the age of 23 put his O on the line against Vasily Lomachenko, who also was in his prime, uh, regarded as one of the best counter-profile fighters in the world at the time. And, and, and they had a great fight uh, as well in October. So um, Caduce the top rank for getting those fights done. I, I was in the building Saturday, like you had mentioned, and uh, it was a fantastic fight. I mean, it lived up to the hype. These are two uh, of the best fighters uh, in the world right now, and, and both, again, at the peak of their powers. And I think Taylor was just a little sharper. I mean, just a little bit more skilled and, and a little bit more precise with his game plan. Really did an excellent job of weathering the early storm. Ramirez was the aggressor, I thought, early in the first few rounds, um, while while Taylor was feeling things out. And then once he got comfortable, he was able to really work his left hand with with lefts to the body, counter-lefts, and and, and scores the pair of knockdowns. And whenever – I mean, again, Ramirez was very, very aggressive, and he continued to come forward and showed a lot of heart despite the two knockdowns. But whenever Taylor was even in – there was – at the first sign of trouble, if there was even a sign of trouble – he would tie up Ramirez, and they'd have to start the whole thing over again. And it was a genius, genius strategy. Uh, Caduce to, to Taylor's trainer, Ben Davison, who, of course, I worked with the WBC heavyweight champion Tyson Fury uh, before his rematch with, or uh, in, in several fights mm-hmm. leading up to his rematch with Deontay Wilder Fury, obviously, with, with Sugar Hill Stewart now. But uh, tremendous game plan, tremendous execution. And, and now this creates a whole new storyline in boxing. So you see, what does Josh Taylor do? Now this is another household name. In the sport, who has four belts, that could stay at 140, that could move up to 147 for a possible fight with Terrence Crawford. It's fantastic. Um, boxing and boxing fans won on Saturday night, not just Josh Taylor.
1: When you were at that fight, because I've, I watched the fight myself uh, along with a bunch of other friends, some people were surprised that it was actually that close, that it was 114-112. You mentioned the pair of knockdowns. Essentially they're saying without those knockdowns the fight was a draw. Are you surprised that it was that close or did you think Taylor won by more or do you think that's right? And I know a lot of people say as long as the judges get the right winner that's all that matters but I've never been of that opinion. I think you still have to have accountability for how the scores go a little bit.
3: Yeah, I I scored the fight the same way. Um I scored the fight the same way and I thought there were a lot of close, I thought there were a lot of close rounds but but at the end of the day uh, I, I, the, the rounds that Taylor won, I think, were a little bit more decisive. He was landing the harder shots, and then, of course, the knockdowns make the difference. Now, now he wasn't at all happy with the judging. I mean, he made that very clear uh, in the post fight press conference that he thought. I think the word he used was a farce. He thought the judging was a farce. But, but there were a lot, a lot of really close rounds. I mean, there were a lot of rounds where, where Ramirez was kind of dictating the pace and the tempo, and where, where Taylor was having was forced to respond and adjust to the pressure that Ramirez put on him. But uh, again, the rounds that Taylor won, I thought were certainly more impressive. And, and he he, hit, he had the, the more powerful shots and, and, and did more damage. So, um, of course, you know, kind of from a macro perspective, if you, if you look at the fight, uh, yeah, Taylor, Taylor won soundly. But you can't, I, boxing is a round-by-round sport, and you have to kind of view each round in and of itself. And I thought Ramirez did enough, even after the knockdowns, So to even win rounds afterwards, again, I thought he showed a lot of heart. And there's a reason he was a a unified champion at 140 pounds. And and he'll bounce back. Um, I I have no doubt about that. He's still only 28, going to be 29 in August in the prime of his career. Uh, and we'll see where, where he chooses to go. But, but Taylor is going to have more options. He was clinical. Um, again, the, uh, a, a sound victory. Definitely uh, definitely was the better fighter, and, and now he, he's going to have an, op- an opportunity, uh, whether that's this fall or early 2022, who knows when that'll be, but to, to test his skills now, as more of a household name and, and make another big fight, whether that's at 140 or 147.
0: And see, that is the thing, you know, with boxing, you talk about those two big rounds, the 10 8 rounds for Taylor. If you look at that, you could probably score. That fight, six rounds apiece. Or maybe even yeah. you score it 7-5 in favor of, um, of Ramirez, possibly. But because of the knockdowns, that skews it. And you're right. Every round is different. I mean, there are some rounds that Ramirez clearly won. But the Taylor rounds, they were, they were very, very decisive with that. So, And yep. again, if you take away those knockdowns, we may have a draw here. Or maybe even the other way. I mean, that's how good of a fight it was. Close of it. And again, the knockdowns were the difference in this fight. There's no question.
3: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and Taylor, you know, Taylor was really, really sharp. And you know, there was some, there was a little bit of controversy surrounding, I think, the second knockdown. I mean, Kenny Bayless is a vet's vet. He's been doing this a long time. One of the absolute best in the business. But there was, you know, there were some issues I thought with some of the clinching and and the the way those clinches went and the way they they were broken up. And uh, Bayless, I don't think, separated the fighters. you, You know, the way he probably should have in that seventh round, allowing uh Taylor to, to get that uppercut in there but you know Ramirez knows the rules you got to protect yourself at all times that's just what it is and, and you have to adjust for for the referee and uh and that's not to say that Ramirez did anything wrong I think it was just more so Taylor taking advantage of an opportunity he uh to put Ramirez on the canvas and you know Ramirez got up he was still throwing punches and it felt like he had recovered a little later in the fight to the point where he was again I thought won some of those rounds late but but you touched on TC Taylor was sharper He was the better fighter and and, and definitely deserved a victory, and and you're right, maybe it would have been a draw because I thought there were a lot of really, really close rounds, and you even look at those scorecards when they come out, even the I mean, there was no consensus among who won which rounds, I mean, a lot of those could have gone either way, Uh, and and especially from our vantage point, I I know seeing it on TV looks a little bit different, we didn't have access to the same replays uh, in real time, but... Um, from our vantage point, it, it, it was, there, some of those rounds, I mean, were really, really brutal scoring. I don't know how the judges did it from ringside. You know, the judges having having different angles and whatnot. But at the end of the day, from a macro perspective, when, when you break down the whole fight, not round by round, but the whole thing, Taylor landed the more powerful shots, uh, the more impactful shots, uh, Was his was better defensively. And, uh, and earned the victory. I mean, and that's why he won the fight. He was able to get those two knockdowns, and now he's undisputed at 140. The, the first undisputed boxing, uh, champion boxing has had since 2017 when, when Terrence Crawford unified the same division. And, boy, if we can get Crawford and Taylor there, what a fight that would be at 147 pounds if Taylor vacates the titles and moves up. I mean, we're talking about two fighters, even though, you know, Crawford's a couple years older. He he looked as sharp as ever uh, last fall against Kell Brook. Uh, we know what he could do with his power, with his speed, with his quickness, and with his ability, his ambidextrous ability to switch stances at any given moment and wreak havoc, especially out of that southpaw stance. So that's a fight I think. You know, boxing has momentum. Josh Taylor has momentum now. Now it's on top rank to continue to elevate him, continue to promote him, and make sure that he has another big fight to follow up what he was just able to do uh, this past weekend.
1: I know we're running up against the clock a little bit here, but I want both your guys' thoughts on this one. Because you Mm -hmm. mentioned several times here that Taylor had the more dominant rounds, but there were a lot of close rounds that maybe you give to Ramirez. Why is it in boxing that they're so hell-bent that the judges always give the round to somebody because they don't want an even round there? If somebody's winning close rounds and the other one's winning dominant rounds, as long as the one winning close rounds is winning enough of them, you're still saying it's a draw, potentially, even if the other guy is winning. I've never 100% understood that. I understand you want them to make a decision, but it almost seems like the guy who's winning the rounds cleaner is getting screwed in some respects.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, you, you could have rounds that really seem like 10-8 rounds, without a knockdown sometimes. And that is the thing. It's like they do not want judges to score 10-10 rounds. They don't want the even rounds. And very, very, very few times do you see that. And sometimes, you know, while I'm trying to score fights, I'm going like, okay, I really want to give. it, but we know we it, it has to go. It doesn't have to, but they like you but to go 10 they pretty 10 much nights. always yeah. do. Yeah, so it, it yeah. is it's an inexact science. It really is. You know, it's very 100%. subjective. I'm, yeah.
3: I'm with you, TC. It is an inexact science. That's why I- – <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me, that's why we see these different scorecards all the time. And, you know, fortunately for Josh Taylor, uh, the, the, the judges all—they got this one right. Regardless, yeah, I, I hear. No, he what, I hear what fight, Frank, no
0: doubt, no doubt. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. I hear what Frank's saying in terms of yeah. uh, you know the scores do matter, but he, you know, he put Ramirez on the ground, and Ramirez couldn't put him on the ground, yeah. and that's what won the fight, and that's a credit to Taylor, his power and his and his ability to land clean shots and, and build over time throughout the course of the fight, break Ramirez down a little bit. He really, I thought, set up those knockdowns with great body work early in the fight.
0: Yep, it's great to have boxing back, and uh, there's going to be plenty more cards here coming to Vegas. Uh, Earl Spence Jr., Manny Pacquiao announced, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. Those fights back in Vegas, it's going to be a great summer. Sam, we appreciate you, brother, and uh, we'll see you this weekend and keep talking to you. Great follow on Twitter at uh, by Sam Gordon on Twitter, and of course, catch him, the Las Vegas Review Journal, catch him online. Or if you're old school, get that paper delivered to you in the morning, check out his stuff, man. Whether it's UNLV, it's boxing, it's ACES, Sam Gordon, my man. Appreciate you. You, man, thanks, see Appreciate
2: you guys having
3: me.
0: There Take it care. is. All right. I want to thank Sam for joining us. TJ Rees from Tampa Bay. And uh tomorrow we preview a little bit more Golden Knights and Minnesota Wild game number six. Looking forward to that. And plus, plenty of NBA playoffs to talk about as well too. There are two more hockey games tonight too. There are two more hockey games. Yeah, up north. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah that ca- that Canadian division. That's still still. Uh, Not sure what to make of all that. Nobody knows what's really going to happen. Exactly. All right. Have yourself a good rest of the day. We reconvene tomorrow at 2 o'clock for Ballpark Frank. T.C. Martin saying so long. Go to the website and check all of our stuff up there at tcmartinshow.com. Have a beautiful day and evening. Catch you tomorrow at 2.